With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is the first impression he's making. And and I think the suit works for him. I got a problem with the pin. The Raiders pin that he was wearing is awesome. That pin is all the way out at the edge of the little tuff. Move that pin in a little bit. Straighten it up. If you're going to go Raiders logo, you got to make it look good. It can't look like it was just thrown on there by a (laughs) five-year-old. You know how I'm getting old, Peter? Bahamut I have no recollection. <laughs> I have no recollection of saying that, but I stand by it. Come on, that's a hell of a pin. <laughs> but if it's just thrown on there like a dart that missed the bullseye, it doesn't look as good as it could. I love what EJ did with it. He did exactly what McDaniel should have done. You twist it a little and you move it in and then it, it changes everything. Well done, EJ. And... Let me just say this, Mike. It's it's great that you start the show with a little zinger at the Raiders. I I, I I don't know. Over time, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like you've had quite a few zingers at the Raiders. And, you know, I mean, to be fair, we all have. <laughs> well, yeah, they make themselves an easy target. It's very easy to hit the bullseye when it comes to criticizing the Raiders, although with their recent moves, they may be moving in the right direction. It would be better for them if they were in a division that didn't include the Chiefs and the Chargers and maybe Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos. We'll be talking about that in a minute. But I don't know if you and I ever delved into the rant this year when it was business suit season in the NFL, but that little clip was part of my broader critique of the the entire practice of forcing coaches to wear business suits to their introductory press conference. They'll never wear a business suit again. Why are they wearing one when they say hello to a new fan base and a new market for the first time? You're inherently uncomfortable. Remember the Adam Gase visuals from a few years ago when he's there in a suit and tie and he's clearly uncomfortable. I, that, that, that's what that was a byproduct of. And I can't remember if you and I had that conversation this year, but I know that Golick and I did and Sims and I did. You don't need to wear a suit to your first press conference. You don't need to be uncomfortable right out of the gates. Well, I would take that in a little bit of a different direction. 
I wish that coaches, uh, like for instance, at least, at least the week after John Madden died, every coach in the NFL that weekend should have worn a short sleeve shirt with a tie with a giant knot on top and a credential <laughs> hanging from the belt. That should have been the costume for every coach and, and not an attractive shirt either. You know, I mean, just a, you know, a rumpled shirt because that's the way John Madden dressed. It's just like, remember when Johnny Unitas died and the week after that, Peyton Manning ended up getting fined $15,000 for this, but he wore black high top shoes with his Colts uniform and it was an absolutely perfect tribute uh, to Peyton Manning or to John Unitas. And, and, and the fact that nobody did that for, for John Madden, I, I mean, I have no idea why, but I, I thought it was a little bit, I, I, I mean, even though it would have been a great move that if any one of them did it, the fact that none of them did it, I, I honestly thought was a little tone deaf. Since you've taken me into the neighborhood of one of the topics of my book, Playmakers, that comes out two weeks from today, by the way, and this isn't nearly as gratuitous as my <laughs> other plugs for the book have been, there's actually an essay in Playmakers about Johnny Unitas, and it mentions the incident that you referred to. And I'll say, I'll say Peter, right church, wrong pew. Here's what happened. Manning stated his intention to wear black shoes, in honor of John Unitas, oh, and, and the league said if you, and the league huffed and puffed and threatened to blow his house down with like a twenty-five thousand dollar fine, which would have been over and above what the fine would have been if he had just showed up and played in black shoes. And whoever oh, the Ravens quarterback yeah. was at the time, the Baltimore team at the time, that guy, and it may have been Chris Redman, that guy wore black shoes and he got fined far less. Because he didn't declare before the game that he was going to do it. So the lesson, and this is true in many contexts, it's always better to seek forgiveness than ask permission because Peyton Manning asked permission and the door got slammed in his face. The other guy just did it and he paid far less on the back end. Now you know the rest of the story, Mike, as Paul Harvey used to say. I'm glad you're there to correct my editorial errors, as you often are, uh, but... I just think I, I, I'm not often. I never do that. I never do that. I just I, no, I just did do. it because I wanted to sell you my do. book. I mean, I think it was a good correction. Um, All right. But but here's here's sort of the way I look at this in honoring the people whose shoulders you stand on both playing and coaching this game. It really doesn't take very much. And I have no idea how much. Uh, Peyton Manning was making at the time. But quite honestly, I would have done it regardless and just paid it because he would have gotten so much more of a public clap on the back for doing that than whatever it would have cost him. And you mentioned a very key word when you were explaining that. You said the word costume. Because that's ultimately what the coaches are wearing on the sidelines. It's a costume bought and paid for by Nike or whoever is supplying the gear. And it is Nike right now. The hoodies, the different items that the coaches are living, breathing mannequins for. Because they want people to buy those things. That's why they can't wear the John Madden 
costume or wear a suit. Remember, there was a push and pull 15 years or so ago. Jack yes. Del Rio wanted to wear a suit, and they finally let him do it once or twice. Mike Nolan wanted to wear a suit. They let him do it once or twice. But you can't, you can't wear a suit anymore because the NFL doesn't have an officially licensed tie and an officially licensed blazer and an officially licensed dress shirt that would then be marketed. Maybe they should, but they don't. So you got to wear the stuff that they that they get paid a lot of money to sell uh, exclusively as the NFL's official apparel. All right, let's get to it Mike, with Mike. How about go this? ahead? How, how about this? How about this? What if Bill Belichick, the Sunday after John Madden died, if he doesn't tell anybody anything and he just walks out on the sidelines wearing that? Suppose that happens, okay? And the NFL huffs and puffs. And the NFL says they're going to find him and everything. And Belichick says afterwards, hey, I'm just honoring Coach Madden. Can you imagine the stones it would take somebody in the NFL to say, Bill, you're being fined $50,000 for honoring the guy who we honored endlessly in and around the Super Bowl? Just, just imagine that. It's another one of the themes of playmakers. The NFL can't get out of its own way time and again and does things like that. Even though those things don't affect the bottom line, they make those kinds of decisions that are, on one hand, we've got to enforce the rules. On the other hand, it looks goofy, it looks petty, and it looks very short-sighted. And that's what the NFL does time and again. In all settings, in all contexts, you'll see that kind of decision-making affect either the on-field product or some of the off-field realities of the game all right one of the important off-field realities that will affect the on-field product in 2022 the future of aaron c rogers i used to say aaron j just because i assume everyone's middle initial is j just for fun i think it's aaron charles rogers we've been down this path before what will he be doing in 2022 he's promised an answer by the start of free agency we're getting closer and closer we're just 15 days away there was a report last night from Ian Rappaport of NFL media that the Packers and Rogers agents are working on a short-term contract that would replace the final year of his current deal assuming he plans to stay I think this is a good sign I think the mere fact that both sides see the benefit of working out a contract before Aaron says what he's going to do would tend to be an indication he's leaning in the direction of staying. Or at a minimum, Peter, he recognizes the value of doing that while his decision is pending. You give up your leverage if you say, okay, I'm staying. Let's work out a new contract. If, you're, if your attitude is maybe I'll stay, I don't know. Let's see what the contract looks like. You're probably going to get a better contract. And here's the other thing. You know, I saw that last night. And honestly, kudos to Ian. Because that's the first time I really have thought that, uh, you know, there's a leaning one way or the other. Uh, I think that Rogers, you know, I'll never forget Rogers. It was like August 8th or 10th last year. Sat with him uh, on a bench on the side of the practice field. at Don Hudson Field across from Lambeau. And he told me, he said, you're not going to hear any clues from me this year. I'm, you know, I'm going to be where my feet are, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I think he did a very good job of it. But I do think now, if this is the case, and if he does, uh, if, if he does a short-term contract, 
to stay, let's say the next two years. To me, what that says to me is Devontae Adams, listen, you and I have got to stay together for the next two years. That's, that's it. We have the most golden opportunity. You know, don't go into free agency to some unknown place. You know, let's just stay here and take two more shots at winning a Super Bowl. And look, the last three years, championship game against San Francisco, championship game against Tampa, divisional game against San Francisco have been some of the lowest points of Aaron Rodgers' NFL career. So I think he also feels, hey, listen, I've got to come back and redeem myself. If indeed he does this, uh, that he's got to come back and play big at big moments. But I think the only way that that is ensured, honestly, is if Devontae Adams stays with him. And Peter, I, I think about the last two off seasons, Tom Brady in 2020, leaving the Patriots who were in mini decline. I really don't know where they are right now after getting blown off the field in the wild card game against the Bills, but they were on the way down when Brady left. He handpicked a destination that was Super Bowl ready, just to add high end quarterback, and he wins a Super Bowl. Last year, Matthew Stafford flees the latest attempt to reboot the dysfunction in Detroit goes to L.A., Super Bowl-ready team, team that had gotten to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff at quarterback. He comes in, they win a Super Bowl. I think the struggle for Aaron Rodgers is a very real one. Where else can you go where you have an opportunity to fairly easily get the one seed? In the NFC North right now, the Bears and the Vikings both have new coach, new GM. The Lions are in year two of their latest reboot. You can run that division. You can win enough games in that division. It'll make the difference between being the one seed, the two seed, the three seed, the four seed. So why would you want to go anywhere else? There's no team in the AFC that you can point to and say, hey, they're in position to really kick ass and take names this year because the rest of the AFC is so damn competitive. His best place to get back in the same position he's been the last three years in the playoffs at a high level, one seed the last two years, as you mentioned, three years ago, NFC Championship, is to stay exactly where he is. And he's probably coming to that realization. Here's the other thing, Mike. You know, you don't often get into a situation where, uh, you know, they got nine of their games are at home this year, even though one of them is in London. I cannot imagine that that game in London is not going to be a dominant cheesehead crowd i mean the packers have never played in europe never played a real game in europe so every fan from denmark to you know the south of france is going to converge on tottenham stadium in october and go nuts for the packers you know i was talking to somebody uh you know who's from england who who now lives here he goes you know mostly we don't scalp tickets to games because we just don't. If we can't see a game, we'll stay at home and we'll watch the game on TV. But he said, that is a game where if you're a Green Bay fan, you have to go to that game and you will go to that game somehow by hook or by crook. See, this is a really cool thing. I did that. Hey, Mike, 
I don't know, six or eight years ago, I was visiting, I have family over in England. And my brother and I, my late brother now, we walked across Abbey Road and we got a picture of ourselves doing it. Just like every other podunk tourist has ever done when they visit that area of London. But uh, look, this is, ab you're absolutely right. It's a golden, golden opportunity for the Packers over the next two years to again win home field and finally fulfill that wish of a second Super Bowl for Aaron Rodgers. Did you go shoes or no shoes when you crossed Abbey Road? I went shoes. Because Paul has no, no shoes. Paul has shoes. no shoes. Barefoot. Yeah, I know. Barefoot, he crossed I buried Abbey Road. Paul. Um, and, yeah. And, and, and they buried Rodgers in that picture. They didn't put him in the picture. So there were a lot of people yesterday trying to yeah. interpret the messages the same as taking the old 12-inch <laughs> vinyl and spinning it backward. What's the message? Because Rodgers, neither, neither Rodgers nor Jordan Love is in that photo. Uh-oh, maybe they'll have no quarterback at all in 2022 as they go to London. And you know what? That may be a weird little cosmic sign for Aaron Rodgers, too, because he said he would like to play a game in London. They were the last team. They are the last team yeah. to do it. So uh, they, they get their wish this year. And, 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 and yeah, Packers fans, oh, we're giving up a game at Lambeau Field. You still have eight games. That's one of the benefits of the 17-game season. That's the whole this thing. Year, the if NFC you, hey, teams, Mike, yeah. Mike, if you look at the schedule or if you look at the announcement the NFL made yesterday, and I wrote this in my column yesterday, uh, I, I wrote it like two weeks ago that it was pretty sure that, you know, Tampa Bay was going to be the host team uh, for the for the game in Germany, but four of the five teams playing an international game this year, all but Jacksonville, which is contractually obligated to play at least one in London every year, but the other four teams are all NFC teams. And you know what? In 2023, all five teams will be AFC teams because that's the way that's sort of the hidden little secret in the 17-game schedule. Everybody is still always going to have at least eight home games, except for the Jaguars, but they've been doing that for years now. And ideally what will happen is we'll see 16 neutral site games every single year, so every team has eight true home games because that's where the slight imbalance is. You're going to have – Multiple teams in the NFC, well, 12 of the teams in the NFC that have nine true home games, four have eight true home games. The four teams that will be hosting the international games, Cardinals, Saints, Packers, Bucks, the other 12 teams will all have nine home games next year, just like most of the AFC had nine home games the year before. And I look forward to the year where there are 16 international games. I think that's far more likely than a team being relocated to London, but who knows when the NFL wants to do it, the NFL will do it. One last point on Aaron Rodgers, and this came from your column last week. I saw a quote in there from Bob McGinn about his belief that Aaron Rodgers in big moments shies away from taking chances, shies away from potentially throwing interceptions because of the havoc that interceptions reek on the passer rating statistic. And it's a fascinating point. I know it's something Sims talks about. There's a politics of playing quarterback that causes some guys to shy away from taking a shot when the shot is there because they don't want that interception on their stat line. 
But what I extrapolated from that is that Aaron Rodgers, to the extent that he fears the blowback statistically of throwing an interception, because, like, who the hell cares about what your stat line is? You're still one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. I think at some level, Peter, he's going to be hesitant to go to another team. Let's say he would go to, to Tennessee, even though they've made it clear they want Ryan Tannehill. I think it would make sense for Rodgers to go there because they could, they could own the AFC South. We don't know what the Colts are going to be. Hell, we could go to the Colts, and it would be the same thing. Colts or Titans. Let's say he goes to an AFC team, and he's the one seed, and he loses again, either the divisional round or conference championship. If that happens, the narrative shifts ever so slightly from currently, if they don't get to the Super Bowl, it's about what the Packers have done to fail to put the team around him. If he goes somewhere else, and it's the same result that we've seen in Green Bay, now it's going to be, well, maybe it was him. Maybe he's the one that's not stepping up in the big spots. Maybe he's the one that can't get it done and punch through to the Super Bowl. Maybe the fluke was 2010 when they were the sixth seed and they ran the table because they haven't run the table since then. He's been the MVP four times and they haven't managed to get back. They've been the one seed at least three times and they haven't gotten back. He goes somewhere else and gets the same result he's gotten in Green Bay. He's the one that's going to get the blame for 12 years of futility. Yeah, I don't know about that, Mike. Um, I I do think, I think there's an element of truth in what Bob McGinn wrote. But I always think when I read something like that, um, I always think I want to see the receivers he passed up. I, I want to see end zone view of 15 times in 2021 how he passed open a guy, you know, wide open down the, down the field going like this, and he dinks it off, you know, to a tight end. So I'm not, I'm not doubting Bob McGinn because he's, he's very, very good at what he does, but I do wish that I could see 10 to 15 snaps where he did that, you know, where, where he passed on the downfield receiver. Well, and... I think this is where Rodgers may be a victim of his of his brilliance because we've seen how many yeah. times he can thread that needle with a guy who who isn't running open down the field like Jamar Chase was on that fateful final fourth yeah. down in the Super Bowl because Jalen Ramsey had gotten his feet tangled and fallen. It's it's more there's a there, there's a, there's a keyhole that we've seen Aaron Rodgers throw the ball through before, and he's resisting. Yeah the urge to do it in a big spot. I think that that's how I read the criticism, that it's not guys who are, who are open that he's missing. It's shots that he would take in the regular season uh, more often than not, that in those bigger moments he's not taking. And, uh, that, that's, and that would be harder to pick up on film. But again, the windows he's, I don't really he's think... putting the ball through are, are very, very narrow at times. And it's amazing. And yeah, you expect him to do that all the time when you see him do it some of the time. Yeah, I, I took it as a general criticism uh, of not wanting to throw interceptions at all. Not necessarily all in the postseason. Uh, but, hey, look, you know, his last two playoff games uh, are grim. You know, they just are. The way he ended the game against the Bucks at home and then basically four quarters against, uh, I mean, well, 
think, like 53 minutes against San Francisco. You know, I remember talking to Kyle Shanahan after that game. And, you know, we were just talking about how amazing it was that in what could be Aaron Rodgers' last game at Lambeau Field, you know, you made him look like a guy, you know, just a regular guy. And he and and Shanahan said, he goes, on that first drive, he said, you know, we're out there and it's ridiculously cold and everybody is trying to adjust to it and there's wind. And, and he goes, Aaron Rodgers took them downfield like it was 70 degrees and they're in Miami. And I'm exaggerating. I forget what exactly he said, but that's in essence what he said. And he goes, I don't know how he just did that, <laughs> you know? And then that was the last time he did it all day. He didn't do anything the rest of the game. Last nine drives, three points. <clears throat> so to me, he's got some unfinished business. And look, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna absolutely, you know, go crazy about this. But there's one other little factor, Mike, that if I were Aaron Rodgers, I would say, I should pay attention to this too. And that is that the two non-conference divisions that they're playing this year are the NFC East and the AFC East. And look, you've got the Bills and the Patriots and maybe the Dolphins being good in, in the AFC East. But in the NFC East, really, what do you have? You got a home game with Dallas, okay? And then you got the Eagles, the Giants, and Washington. And then you've got, you've got the Jets, and they have a very, at, relatively speaking, a very advantageous schedule to win home field in the NFC if Aaron Rodgers comes back. Unbelievable to think that a team could have the one seed for three straight seasons, but um, it's looking like at this point, at this point, Rodgers is considering coming back. And, and enter look, the third season without having made the Super Bowl in the first two. He could. He could if he wanted to come back and play out the final year of his current contract. But I don't have the numbers in front of me. I know the total average on this deal is $33.5 million with his Jared, or Jared Goff money. And, and there was a debate last week. Does he want $50 million a year? He says it's not about the money. I was told previously it's not about the money. But, but he does deserve he does deserve $50 million a year. And the cap keeps going up and up and up. And you got broadcasters making $20 million a year. That's got to have an impact on the guys who play the game. And when you look at where he is on that list, tied with Jared Goff, behind five other guys, just ahead of Kirk Cousins, for crying out loud, uh, Rodgers deserves to be at least at 45, if not 45.1, if not 50. And we'll see what that contract looks like. And the other thing that a new contract does, a two-year deal fully guaranteed would would represent an implicit acknowledgement by the Packers that Jordan Love is not going to be his successor at least not on Jordan Love's rookie contract because Love's got two years in and he's got two more years on his rookie deal now they could still pick up the fifth year option he could still be the successor but for the four years yeah. covering the Jordan Love rookie deal Aaron Rodgers would be the starter when Rodgers thought in 2020 when he heard the name Jordan Love, quarterback, Packers with that draft pick and filled a glass with a whole lot of tequila, that, that, that fear will have never come to fruition. Mike, 
I'm going to just go back and bring you words on Sunday of draft weekend in 2020 from Brian Gutekunst, general manager of the Packers, when he was getting roasted for trading up to take a quarterback with Aaron Rodgers, I think at the time, 36 years old. And, you know, he defended the pick to me and talked about how you... You know, this is what the Packers do, and it's what they did when they have Favre and all that other stuff. All of it made sense. But then he issued this statement. He goes, I said, what if Rodgers plays great? You know, what are you going to do? And he goes, then he's our quarterback, and it'll be good for the Packers. And what they have basically acknowledged now is that I think whether, I think even if Jordan Love, had gone out this year in Kansas City and outdueled Patrick Mahomes and won 35 to 31. Okay, and, and threw for 387 yards. I still think Green Bay would be doing exactly what it's doing right now. Because and 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 it's so interesting. You talk, I, I've talked to, I've asked almost every veteran quarterback in the league over like the last eight or ten weeks starting later in the season. When I've asked them, what are the pros and cons for the Packers? Just And these are guys who, who I know a little bit who I can ask them. And one of these quarterbacks told me, I thought, the perfect thing that totally crystallized my thinking. And he goes, the reason why if I were Green Bay, I'd never trade Aaron Rodgers, even if... I knew he was going to walk away and all I was going to get the next year is a third round compensatory pick. I would never do it for one reason. Because in the NFL, one year is an eternity. And what he meant was, if you have a chance to win any year, you have got to take it. And that's why if you're the Packers, you look at this coming year, and you say, we have to do everything in our power to keep Rodgers and to make one more run at this because they're looking at the same thing that we are, that we've just done for the last 20 minutes. And that is, you look at the schedule, you look at the division, you look at the conference. They are clearly the favorite to be the number one seed in the NFC. And it doesn't matter that the defending Super Bowl champion is in the NFC. The Green Bay Packers are the, are the clear favorite to go to the Super Bowl again this year, just like they have been the last two years. But they would be nowhere like that without Aaron Rodgers. And you can't say to me that that's worth three first-round draft picks. It isn't. Having Aaron Rodgers, even if for only one more year, that's worth more than having three ones. Yeah, the window is wide open for the Green Bay Packers to try to get a Super Bowl trophy that would bookend Aaron Rodgers' career. They got one in his third season as the starter, and it's been a long decade plus. They could still get one more, and this year coming up could be their best chance because of the factors we've discussed. Well, there's another team in the NFC that would just like to win a playoff game. I mean, these are all great problems to have if you're a team that is just kind of struggling to find your way with a franchise quarterback who's in position to get 
his second contract. This all exploded yesterday. It's been lingering. There's been some awkwardness. There's been some reporting. There's been some suggestion that I think was the manifestation of what really is the core of the problem here. You've got Kyler Murray with three years in in Arizona. He's now eligible for a second contract. And it's very easy to say we'd like to give him one. The harder part of that conversation is figuring out where he lands on that scale. And we put the graphic up. If we have it, the highest paid quarterbacks, the top 10, it begins at $45 million per year with Patrick Mahomes. And it ends at $30 million per year with Matt Ryan. That is a huge spread. And four or five years ago, Peter, there was a presumption. If you're a quarterback, first rounder, you put your time in, you're due for a new contract, not even a first rounder. Derek Carr got it, uh, or Kirk Cousins got it, Jimmy Garoppolo got it. Just a, a high-end quarterback that that is good enough to get a second contract. The presumption was you would become the highest paid player in NFL history by a half million per year over the guy who, who previously held the title. And some guys didn't hold the title for very long. It was happening one after another, after another, after another. Now that rubber band has been stretched where you've got that huge spread. And I don't think that Kyler Murray could walk in and say, well, this is simple. Give me 45.1 million per year. It doesn't work that way anymore. And that's going to be the challenge. And I think that's why we saw the statement from Eric Burkhart yesterday, who represents both Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, by the way, which makes it even more awkward for the Arizona Cardinals. But I think a lot of the stuff we've heard in recent weeks was, was that that frustration that both sides are feeling as they recognize they're in entirely different ballparks. And the challenge over the next six months is to get them in the same ballpark and to get them to come to an agreement as to what Kyler Murray should be getting because Burkhardt is going to be high and the Cardinals are going to be low relative to the top of the market. And, and I think that's the core of the challenge right now for the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. You know, Mike, um, I look at the last two years of Kyler Murray and of the Arizona Cardinals. And two years ago in their last seven games, uh, they went two and five. And last year in their last six games, they went one and five. And I'm not putting that all on Kyler Murray at all. I'm not. But you... You accompany that with a lousy playoff game that he played last year. And he's only played one of them. And honestly, if I were Eric Burkhardt and Kyler Murray, and obviously uh, I don't, I'm not in that business, I would sing for my supper in 2022. I would play out this year and go back and prove to everybody in Arizona that I'm a worker bee, that I'm going to show you that I'm going to step up for all the people who question my leadership, for all the people who question how I play down the stretch of a season. I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you all, okay? Because right now, how could you justify putting Kyler Murray in the Patrick Mahomes stratosphere? You really? can't. How could you? You can't. Because it, 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 there, there's just, it, it just can't, it can't be done. I mean... That play right there, the play that we're showing, can we show that one more time? I want to show that one more time. And the reason that I want to show that is that that play 
if if you give your quarterback 43 45 million dollars right here where you know that is one of the most irresponsible plays a quarterback can ever ever make okay and if that's the last vision you have and then you introduce kyler murray here's our 43 million dollar quarterback i mean isn't everybody going to look up there and say what are you talking about i mean could we have some results first I do understand that there are those who would say that if Kyler Murray goes out this year and has an MVP year, he's going to be he's you're going to pay him 48 million a year. You're going to it's going to cost you a lot more to do that. The problem is if he goes out and plays in and out C plus B minus level where he has a Baker Mayfield year. And, and again, Baker Mayfield was hurt this year, so that's unfair. Kyler was if, if too. He has, Kyler was if too. he has an up and down year, yeah, yeah, that's right. He was. If he has an up and down year, then you have to ask yourself, you know, what have we done by paying him now? That's why, to me, if I were Eric Burkhart and Kyler Murray, I would, I would have a show me year, and I would enter this year and just say, okay, you didn't want to pay me, I'll show you. I would give them a year like Joe Flacco gave the Ravens in 2013. Oh, you don't want to pay me? Okay, well, I'll show you. And he went out and he let his play do the talking. He went on the road. He won all those games, won the Super Bowl, and became the NFL's first $20 million player in history. It seems bizarre, doesn't it, Mike, that that's eight years ago. I mean, that's eight years ago that the highest paid player in, in football makes 40% of what the highest paid player makes right now. But that's the reality of NFL economics. Well, especially because the salary cap keeps going up and up, and it will continue to go up and up and up. And everyone associated with the game is making more and more and more money. And that brings me to a tweet that Eric Burkhart posted on Sunday. I posted our article about the dust-up between Aaron Rodgers and Greg Jennings over whether Rodgers is being selfish if he wants $50 million per year. Jennings, former teammate in Green Bay, obviously, says Rodgers is being selfish. My message was if Rodgers wants $50 million per year, he's not being selfish, he's being smart, he's earned it, and he should get it. Burkhart retweeted that with this message. Frankly, Rodgers is worth well more than $50 million per. Announcers are now making $20 million plus to drive to the game out of harm's way and just talk about quarterbacks and players. That's that's the, the thing that we have to remember here. The numbers are going to keep going up and up and up. $45 million per year is just a, a, a stopover on the way to 50, 55, 60, 65, 70 because the numbers are going to keep going haywire and, and we can't wrap our heads around that I think as fans and as media and we only have access to the compensation paid to the to the players we don't see the tax returns that the owners file and see how much more money they're making every year every year every year as the revenue goes haywire but that's part of it too the economics of the game are changing dramatically every year we had the dip due to the pandemic that's now over, and I know they've smoothed out some of the losses, and it's going to be held back a little bit. But between the new TV money and the gambling money, Peter, the, the salary cap's going to explode. And I think that's one of the reasons a guy like Kyler Murray would say, I shouldn't be paying for, playing for $5.5 in 
2022. I shouldn't have to play for $5.5 million in 2022. This needs to be rectified now, and the challenge becomes figuring out the right number to rectify it too. I, the Cardinals want to give him a contract. It's just how do they come up with the right number for a guy who has had regression each of the last two seasons? Fairly significant regression. Whether it was driven by injury or not, he's had a dip for consecutive years, and his coach has had a dip for nine straight years. All the way back to Texas Tech, every year. Starts good to great, and then as the year goes on, it it slides. And that can't be ignored either. Look, I think the only way if they desperately want to do a contract now is to do a contract that has uh, some uh, incentives built into it. Incentives unlike anybody's ever seen in a quarterback contract before. But basically, you know, put incentives in there that says, you know, if you achieve this, then your contract goes up to this and all that other stuff. But, Mike, it's hard for me to pay Kyler Murray right now 43 or whatever million dollars. I just, I still have some questions about him. Well, look, I agree with you, but from Burkhart's perspective, the questions have been answered. From the team's perspective, the questions are there. And that's why they're in this current awkward posture where you've got the tiny little single space full page statement from Burkhart <laughs> yesterday. And, and, and look, and, and, you know, Peter, we haven't mentioned this yet today because it's not like he could go pick up a baseball bat or a baseball glove and play baseball currently because of their labor issues. But by the time the regular season rolls around, training camp rolls around, I don't know. Will baseball be, be back on if it is, he's the one guy in the NFL that has the ultimate leverage of saying, screw it, I'll go play another professional sport if he really wants to do it. And he's still only 24. I mean, he could, but, you know, the the Major League Baseball draft road is littered with first, second, and third picks of the draft who never sniff the big leagues. So all I'm saying is that if Kyler Murray wanted to do this, And I think he probably could do this. But you're sitting there not really sure that you will definitely be able to do this. And in order to be able to do this, you're going to have to endure probably two full minor league seasons, I would say at least, uh, in order to get to that goal. The question is, do you want to do that? I have no idea whether he does or not, but I do think that you can't just say, well, you know, he's got baseball out there. I mean, it's just, it's different. It's not a lock. And his experience in baseball, you know, in college, I mean, he, I forget how many at-bats he had, but it's not like he played three full seasons of college baseball. So I, I, hey, look, I trust that he could make the big leagues. I believe that he could, but that's an investment of time and effort and uncertainty that you really don't know. I don't disagree with any of that, but he's the only guy in the NFL who currently even has a reasonable path to give it a try if he would choose 
to do it. And yeah. one of the reasons he made the football choice three years ago is, hey, franchise quarterbacks make great money, even though you've got a more limited career than you would have in baseball. But now we're at the point where how great of the money will it be for Kyler Murray? And when we'll find out. And look, the Cardinals have broken from this past, but it wasn't all that long ago that the Cardinals were really, really cheap. I remember a Michael Silver item about how they would padlock the Gatorade cooler on the player's day off, how they they signed, I think it was Robert Griffith, to a contract, and they deducted from his signing bonus the cost of the FedEx envelope that the signing bonus check was sent to him in. I mean, so, you know, this is a team with a history of counting pennies, which which makes this this really first big quarterback negotiation in team history uh, a, a, a challenge, to say the least. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, a little nugget that Sims and I dropped yesterday about an alternate reality in which Sean Payton is currently the coach of the Dolphins and Tom Brady is currently the quarterback, or at least would be by the time week one rolls around. Peter and I will delve into that when, when PFD Live continues. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Okay, so it was yesterday morning. Sims and I spent some time talking about something that he and I had heard and we'd worked on it and we developed it and we honed it to the point where we were ready to report that the Miami Dolphins, prior to the filing of the Brian Flores lawsuit, had planned to try to engineer Sean Payton as the head coach and eventually Tom Brady as the starting quarterback. And... Uh, you know, Peter, we were talking about this during the break. And, uh, you know, there's always the disconnect between the things we know that we can talk about when we're not on the air because we can be a little looser with it and get involved in more supposition and conjecture and rumor mongering. But when it's live, you have to be a little more restrained. But this is something that had been out there percolating for a while. Uh, we just decided last week, Sims and I decided we're, we, we've got this nailed down and we're going to nail it down a little bit more and we're going to go ahead and do it because if we don't, someone else will. That was basically the, you know, the, the, it just, it, we're hearing so much about it that it felt inevitable yeah. that it was going to get out at some point, especially this week with the entire NFL world descending on Indianapolis for the scouting combine. 
You know, Mike, what, what I found most interesting reading your item yesterday, it, my first thought was, this is now the third time since 2017, third time in five years that Sean Payton has been legitimately connected to another team. There's this one. There's the one you wrote about in Playmakers that I never had any idea about. Uh, you know, where it got nixed at the end because of what was happening with the Pelicans, you know? But five years ago, I don't know how many people in the audience know this, but five years ago, when the, when, when the Rams were getting to the end of the line in the recruiting and the interviewing process of their head coach, you know, Kevin Demoff, their president, told me this before the Super Bowl, that they were set to tell Stan Kroenke, the owner, look, here's who we like. We like this guy, this 30-year-old coach, the offensive coordinator from Washington named Sean McVay. But obviously, it's going to take a leap of faith for you to love him. And Demoff was really concerned that Stan Kroenke was a veteran coach guy. You know, over the years, he had stuck with Jeff Fisher, and he was a big fan, basically, of, of getting veterans. George Carl with the Denver Nuggets, you know, his basketball team, and all this stuff. So Demoff and their team presented him, look, it's possible. We, we don't know that we could, but it's possible that we could get Sean Payton. You know, it's going to cost something, and it'll cost mo more money in the contract, blah, 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 blah. But if you want us to try, we could. So, you know, my whole point about this is that three times in five years that some team out there at least seriously entertain the thought of going after Sean Payton and paying compensation to the Saints. And, and to me, that just, I don't even know what it says. I, I'm, I'm not sure what it says, but I think what it says overall is that, I mean, Sean Payton is a businessman. And he also, in my opinion, if I'm reading your item yesterday, the other thing that I thought of, because I know, Mike, you and I have, you know, we both know Peyton. He legitimately wants to give broadcasting a chance. I mean, it's not a lock that a year or two from now that he's going to be coaching Team X, okay? It, it, it isn't a lock. He, he wants to really try this. But there's one exception for every rule. And the one exception in the NFL is if you get a chance to coach Tom Brady, you probably got to take it. And that's the other thing I thought of reading your item. Well, and as to Peyton, and you and I argued about this right after he resigned from the Saints, I said Jerry Jones should make his play now because once Sean Peyton yeah. realizes – I can make as much money in TV. I can get a lot more sleep. I can get a lot more exercise. I'll have a lot less stress in my life. Dollar for dollar, hour by hour, it's a much better deal to take one of these ridiculous 
broadcasting gigs that are paying upwards of 20 million when he's making 15 million as coach of the Saints. So once he gets a taste of that, he may realize I've I've had my fill of coaching. Even if Jerry Jones shows but up, the other, but and, the and if he does show like, up, he's going to have to show thing, up with more money. Go ahead. I, well, you you got to You got to know that he's not going to walk into the uh, broadcast booth or the studio making that kind of money because right. that kind of money is going to be paid to the premier guys. You know, the number one or two play by play guy or analyst. If you're working in the Amazon Thursday night studio with Marshawn Lynch and Scott Hansen, and I have no idea who's in there, but that job doesn't pay $15 million. You know, the number one analyst sitting next to uh, sitting next to Al Michaels in the Amazon booth, if it's a megastar, that might pay that much, but he's going to have to work his way up to that. And I think, I mean... Peyton has been advised basically to do the smart thing. If you really want to be good at this, get a job with CBS or Fox or whoever on the number three or four team with a good veteran play-by-play uh, -play guy with, let's just say, and I'm going to invent this out of whole cloth, with like Kevin Harlan, okay? And sit in the booth with him for two years and he will help you get a lot better. Sit in the booth with, you know, a really good veteran play-by-play -play guy and just get a lot better. And look, I, I hate to say this. I don't even know who Kevin Harlan's partner is. I don't mean to boot him out. It, it, it could be, there could be 10 play-by-play -play guys. But I'm just saying, get a good veteran guy who knows the ropes and it'll help you. And at the end of two years, maybe you're ready to make that big jump and decide whether indeed you do want to do this for a life. We reported yesterday that Sean Payton will have a second meeting with Amazon this week, and he's very flexible when it comes to studio or being in the booth, and they right. are inherently different jobs. But, but Peter, if, if Amazon sees something in him that would make them inclined to offer the analyst job, I mean, they've already got the wallet spread wide open for that gig. They were ready to give reportedly 20 million a year to Sean McVay. And so I'm having a I'm having trouble reconciling why Sean McVay would waltz right in to a prime gig, but Peyton wouldn't. Peyton's got more experience, and I think Peyton, no offense to McVay, but I think McVay who knows damn well he'd be coming back at some point would be more like John Gruden and be guarded and overly positive and go out of his way to not be critical of anyone, any team, any owner, any player, anything because you never know when you're going to be working for that person, coaching that person you're criticizing in that in that organization that you may have something negative to say about. I don't think Peyton cares. I think Peyton's going to say whatever he believes and as long as he's telling his truth if someone's got a problem with it, it's their problem. Between those two guys, I want Peyton. Well, but Mike, you know, that isn't the way Hollywood works. You know, the way Hollywood works is the hot guy makes the most money. The hot gal makes the most money. And Sean Payton hasn't won a Super Bowl in, what, 12 years. So that's why Sean McVay is the hot guy right now. I'm not saying he's going to be better. That's why when great players walk off the field and great coaches leave the sideline, 
if they leave the sideline after having wrecked the NFL, you know, like Tom Brady, I, you know, if he said, I want to be in a booth, somebody's going to pay a gigantic amount of money to get Tom Brady just because he's Tom Brady. And look, I don't doubt for a second that Peyton would be better than McVeigh. I, I, I think they'd both be really good by, you know, by, by the way. But I don't doubt for a second he'd be better. But Sean Payton is not the hot guy today. And so that's why I think McVeigh uh, comes in and, you know, is the apple of everybody's eye who they're all chasing. And McVeigh comes in, young guy. Uh, and, 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 and I just think even though it might not be fair, it's the reality of the world we live in. As to Brady, and, and you mentioned the allure of the Peyton-Brady combination. Could you imagine? And especially what Brady's experienced. He had 20 years with hard-charging, attention to detail, no days off, pain in the ass, Bill Belichick. Then he goes to two years of semi or more retired Bruce Arians, who is hands off. And there was some reporting dust up a week or so ago about the notion that Arians would swoop in and make changes to the game plan and then swoop back out. But he goes from one extreme to the other with Peyton. It's back at the other extreme from a work ethic standpoint, but not nearly the pain in the butt that Belichick can be. And an offensive guy, not a defensive guy who kind of morphed into someone who can facilitate and support Josh McDaniel's offense. You are hitching your wagon with Sean Payton, if you're Tom Brady, to a guy who is one of the great NFL experts in offense and in paying attention to detail, coming up with plays that suit the strengths and minimize the weaknesses of his players. It would have been a dream for Brady to cap his career with Sean Payton. So it makes sense why it was something where the planets were loosely lining up and the Flores lawsuit ultimately resulted in the plug being pulled on the possibility. But I could definitely see why Brady would have wanted to pair up with Sean Payton. You know, there's one other thing, and I know this is going to sound a little bit, uh, what's the right word to say? This is going to sound a little bit odd just from the standpoint of, you know, team building and team construction. But if you look at what would have happened for the Miami Dolphins to get Sean Payton and Tom Brady, I mean, the Dolphins would have had to pay compensation for both. So look at the Dolphins' draft this year. They don't pick till number 50. So I think that means that they probably would have had to give, and I'm guessing, at least a three to Tampa for Brady. I, I would, I mean, this is just, that's, I'm guessing. And then they'd probably have to give next year's one, let's say, right, for, uh, uh, you know, for, for Peyton. And that's just, that's a guess. But, man, that's a lot to be giving, isn't it? Uh, and you're kind of denuding a couple drafts to do that. And I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it, but I'm saying, man, that's a lot. They were ready to do it, though, for Deshaun Watson last year. So just like Amazon, the wallet's already open. 
They're ready to give up assets. And this is a team where if you're Stephen Ross, you can look at the product of your draft picks in recent years and say, especially at the upper part of the draft, well, I mean, kind of the Rams mindset. We're scratching off these lottery tickets and they're not winners. So if we have to throw some of them to another team to get guys that we know who are established going to help us where we get to where we want to be, then let's go ahead and do it. But uh, alas, it didn't happen. That would have been something. In, in an offseason that has had plenty of surprises so far, Brady and Peyton ending up together in Miami would have been a huge surprise. And you know what it tells me, Peter? It only reinforces the idea that Tom Brady hasn't retired from football. He's retired from the Buccaneers. That was really the message four Tuesdays ago. He's retired from the Buccaneers. If he plays again, he's going to play somewhere else, and he very well may. And he said it himself six days after he retired. Never say never, and I don't know how I'm going to feel when June and July rolls around. That, that's the signal that he knows where this is going. And, and also, you know, you raise that point about the compensation for the Buccaneers. Brady's smart enough to realize that whatever his next team gives up, that's less stuff that's going to be there to help him. I just wonder how hard Brady is going to nudge the Buccaneers to minimize what they would want for him. He did that extension last year for cap reasons, not to commit to the Buccaneers through 2022. He originally signed a two-year contract and would have been a free agent right now heading into the 2022 spending spree. So I, I can't help but wonder whether there's an effort by Brady behind the scenes to get the Buccaneers to accept something to save some face so they just don't cut him loose, but to not demand the kind of compensation package that maybe they'd be inclined to try to get. You know, the other thing, Mike, I I should say, I want to clarify this. The Miami Dolphins have the 29th pick in the draft this year. And, And so, you know, their first pick is not the 50th pick overall. My only thought was, when I look at what Miami actually has this year, if I were the Saints, not only is this kind of a sketchy draft right at the top, but I would probably gamble that the Dolphins pick in a better draft would be a higher pick in 2023. And it would be probably a higher caliber player. And and that's that's really what I meant by that, that... I just don't see if given the alternative, you know, if I were Mickey Loomis, I would say, we don't want the 29th pick in a mediocre draft we, we, that has some really good depth, third, fourth, fifth rounds, second round. But we would rather take our chances and take your one in 2023. And as to the Dolphins' attempt to hire Peyton. What what we were going to report as of Monday morning was that the Dolphins were planning to attempt to do it, and the Flores lawsuit ended that. The Dolphins officially had no comment on the record, but Dolphins sources told me that they actually had contacted the Saints to request permission to talk to Peyton. Between Peyton's resignation and Flores filing his lawsuit, it was a seven-day stretch between the two, that they had made that request and the request was denied. And that actually gave us more than what we came to the table with. And I was like, wow, okay, fine. I, you know, we, we, we got something that even crystallizes this desire to get Sean Payton even more. And, and it necessarily undermines 
the coach they hired. They can say all they want about Mike McDaniel, but acknowledging that you made a phone call about trying to get Sean Payton suggests that McDaniel wasn't your top choice, that you you wanted to explore Payton and the door was slammed in your face. I just, I, I wonder why the Saints declined. If they, And because I poked well, around yesterday. That's and why I'm skeptical. The message from New Orleans. Yeah. The message from New Orleans was along the lines of, we, we never got that call. Well, why in the hell would the Dolphins acknowledge they made that call? Why would they? It, it benefits the Dolphins in no way to admit that they made that call. Why would they not say they made a call that complicates their lives if they say they made that call? That's what's weird to me, Peter. Mike, it makes no sense for Mickey Loomis to say, we don't want a free high draft choice for a guy who's never going to coach our team again. Makes no sense whatsoever. And so that's why, and I, I in no way doubt anything that you wrote, but I'm a little skeptical that the call was made and the, uh, and the Saints said no. Just because pragmatically, if you look at every party, involved in this story look at every party so let's say Miami does have an interest in Sean Payton all right and they place that phone call Mickey Loomis knows and Gail Benson knows that Sean Payton is never going to coach their team again and the fact is they owe him all this money and now maybe some of that money could be depending on what part of the deal might be a part of that what happens to what happens to all of the money that he passes up. And, and again, not that the Saints have to pay that because obviously he walked away from that. But I just really wonder, what is the sense of New Orleans saying no? It just, it doesn't ring true to me. I've got two potential explanations for you. First, the Saints know they'll get more from Jerry Jones in 2023 or 2024 than whatever it was the Dolphins were willing to do to get Sean Payton. They'll be able to squeeze more out of Jerry Jones later. That's one reason to say no thank you to the Dolphins. The other reason, and this gets a little more complicated, and this gets into the why and how the door got shot on this, this effort by the Dolphins to get Payton and Brady. There's a thought out there that it was the league office that intervened and said, this isn't happening. Now, I ran that by someone last week, and the response was, there's no way the league office would have simply said, no, you can't do this, because other teams would have insisted that the Dolphins be punished for tampering, because clearly they were talking to Brady. Clearly they were talking to Peyton. And they're also in a position to violate uh, the, the spirit, if not the letter of the Rooney rule, by lining this thing up to get Peyton when they're looking for a head coach and supposedly engaging in a diverse and inclusive search. But, but, if the league office did it in a way where they didn't want to have to go after the Dolphins, they didn't want to have to announce to the world, hey, at a time when we're reeling from this lawsuit that Brian Flores filed, we're going to announce to the world that we're stripping draft picks away from the Dolphins because they had their hand in the Rooney Rule cookie jar and they had their other hand in the tampering cookie jar. Two of the things raised by the Flores lawsuit, we caught them in the act of doing it right after the lawsuit was filed. So it could be, it could be that the mandate was given from on high uh, to the Saints. This never happened. Now, the Dolphins didn't get that memo, apparently. 
But that's my that's so again, I'm trying to make sense out of something that doesn't make sense. Because I'm telling you, the Dolphins will admit privately they made that call for Peyton. And it does not benefit them to admit that. And if the Saints are taking the position that the call didn't come, that's that just doesn't make sense. I agree with you. There has to be a reason for it. If the Saints really did get the call and said no thank you, and now they want to act like the call never came. Okay. Um involving your first point about the Cowboys. I, I, I would make one point about that sort of a counterpoint. Let's say you don't really believe that Sean Payton is going to live the rest of his life on TV. Okay. Well, then that would be going contrary to discussions that he's had with a lot of people. That if I like TV... I don't want to drink Mountain Dew at two o'clock in the morning anymore to stay awake. If I like TV, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live a longer life, live an easier life, a lot of stress, a lot more stress-free. Look, I did this for uh, for 15 years. I had a great life, and you know. But now let's move on. The only thing I would say, Mike, even if you don't believe that, you have to agree that well, there's some chance. 20 or 30%, let's say, that Peyton's not going to coach again. Let's just say, all right? And as it pertains to the Cowboys, are you sure that they're going eight and nine this year and they're going to whack Mike McCarthy and they're going to come after uh, Sean Payton and they'll give you a one and a three for Peyton? Are you sure about that? I mean... The Cowboys go 11 and 6 or or whatever and win the division again. They're not firing Mike McCarthy. In other words, taking something, taking a first round pick from the Miami Dolphins this year or next year is the bird in the hand and I would say at best there's a 50% chance that one day Jerry Jones will come with a better offer. Uh, there may not ever be an offer to give. That's all I'm saying about, you know, your first, you know, either or. I, and and look, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I'm just trying to make sense of two things yeah. that I've become aware of in the past 36 hours. The Dolphins will privately admit that they made the phone call to the Saints and permission was denied. The Saints' private position is the call never came. That is weird because it's against yeah. the interests of both parties involved to say what they're saying. And uh, good luck making sense of that. Good luck making sense of anything nowadays in the National Football League. We're going to try to make sense of the scouting combine, which begins today. Sims is on his way to Indy if he isn't already there. Poison Ivy hopefully has not continued to spread across his body. I'll give... I'll give Peter everything he needs to know about Chris's case of Poison Ivy, and we'll talk about the scouting combine. There's a metaphor to be made about Poison Ivy and the scouting combine, but we'll, I don't know. We'll think about it and maybe do it when we return. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 